2: Live from downtown Salt Lake City, the Utah Debate Commission welcomes you to the 1st Congressional District Candidates Debate. Good evening. I'm Rod Arquette with Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. It is my pleasure tonight to moderate tonight's debate at the invitation of the Utah Debate Commission. This event, held live on September 24th, is part of the Utah Debate Commission's work to educate voters and to encourage the civil exchange of ideas. If you're watching, listening live, we encourage your reactions and questions tonight on social media using the hashtag UTDebates and listen, learn, vote. We're broadcasting from KSL Broadcast House, where we are holding. The debate between the candidates in Utah's district for the first congressional district for the safety of all involved in the debate process. We're adhering to social distancing guidelines and there is no studio audience tonight. We will hear from the candidates Blake Moore and Darren Perry. The Utah Debate Commission has established a format that allows each candidate 60 seconds for a a, a reply to the first question at tonight's congressional debate. Questions will be posed by myself, students from Weber State University, members of the news media, and the viewing audience participating on social media as well. The candidates will have up to two minutes for a response and an opportunity for a 30-second rebuttal. If needed, at my discretion, we may pose a follow up question. Last week, a virtual coin toss determined that Mr. Moore will get the initial response to the first question. We'll alternate who answers first on the remaining questions throughout the debate tonight. Let's get right to the first question and start right now. Let's start, first of all, by asking you a biographical question. Uh, Last week, as we mentioned, a virtual coin toss was determined. And it's very important for voters to know who their candidates are. There will not be a rebuttal to this question, by the way. The first goes to Blake Moore. What uniquely qualifies you, Mr. Moore, to represent Utah's first congressional district?
0: Thank you, Rod. I'm Blake Moore and, and every day of this campaign, I am more energized for this opportunity to serve. It's been a, it's been a tumultuous six months for our nation and, and we still have some big challenges but with challenge comes opportunity as parents Jane and I think of our three boys every day on the campaign trail and I try to envision the world in which I would like to see them grow our fundamental rights bestowed in the Constitution they need to be defended so so they can experience the the opportunities that generations before fought so hard to protect. We must send dynamic and versatile leadership to Washington. It must be someone who has relevant experience to our current crisis, problem-solving, to address future challenges, and the ability to energize and inspire others, especially the next generation of Americans. I'm on this stage because I am that leader. Thank you. Mr. Perry, same question to you. What,
2: qualify, what qualification, qualifications would you bring to the race and to the 1st Congressional District?
1: For those of you who know me, know my tribal heritage is important. As a tribal leader I have had a seat at the table with our federal delegate, our state and local commissioners. I have worked my entire life to build bridges of understanding between groups that don't necessarily get along. The divide that we see in our country today are not Republican problems and they're not Democrat problems. They're American problems. And I believe we all have a role to play. As I turn on the news, I see and hear so much from the left and the right. But I believe there's a whole group of people, me included, that reside in the middle space. And that middle space, it's now time for us to stand up and make a difference in our communities. And that's what I'm here to do today.
2: Thank you for your initial responses. Now let's move on to some of the other questions we have for you tonight. The 2020 presidential campaign became even more chaotic in the past few days with the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The president expected to announce his nominee to replace Justice Ginsburg on Saturday. Do you feel the president and Senate Republicans should move to replace Ginsburg before the election, or should they wait until after the election and allow the next president, be it either Mr. Trump or Joe Biden, if he's re- elected, to replace Justice Ginsburg? Mr. Perry. Uh,
1: I believe that, uh, and I'm using the words of the Republicans a few years ago, that no replacement should be replaced in the last year of a presidential Uh, campaign. The Republicans said that, and there's many on record that have said that. But now it's different. I don't know why it's different. Uh, She was a great woman. Every woman in this country should thank her for the service that was provided and and the things that that they have access to now. And I absolutely believe in my heart that uh, the American people should have a say in who the next Supreme Court justice should be. Yeah. Mr. Moore.
0: I'll echo Mr. Perry's comments. She's in, in addition, you know, not just women, everybody. Uh, she brought equality, she brought, she brought a lot of good, and she was an extraordinary woman. And uh, it's been nice to see the country for a brief moment <laughs> come together to, to honor that, and that should continue on. Um, This one, we need to go off of precedence, basing our decisions on the Constitution. Um, Because if we don't, everything gets political. And as we've seen it, everything constantly gets political. But if you base your decision off the Constitution and off precedence, you'll see that there has been, there is plenty of time to be able to nominate, to vet, and appoint a a new Supreme Court justice. And I support Mitch McConnell and and the Senate Republicans in their efforts to do so. Thank you.
2: If, in fact, the president and the Senate move forward in uh, confirming whoever is nominated to be Supreme Court justice, Democrats are threatening to pack the Supreme Court if Ginsburg's replacement is confirmed before Election Day or even in a lame duck session. If elected, would you support such a move?
0: To pack the Supreme yeah, to Court? pack the Supreme Court. Um, the Democrats would need the sufficient... Um, Authority and constitutional principles to be able to do that. Uh, and I would join my, my House caucus and, and work closely with the Utah delegation to come up with the best decision. But uh, the threatening um, just is, it, it's not something that I would, you know, right now support. I haven't seen the plan or what they're actually proposing to do. So I can't necessarily, you know, agree or deny to, to support that based on anything that I, I don't necessarily know. But uh, it's a it's a threat to try to dissuade the Senate Republicans from moving forward. And again, I support their, their efforts to do so before before the election. Mr. Perry, your thoughts
2: on the Democratic threats on pa- possibly packing the Supreme Court.
1: Rod, that's the problem we, we see today. Uh, it's become partisan. Uh, people quit thinking for themselves in Washington, D.C., and that's a problem. Uh, I don't see the answer as, as packing uh, the Supreme Court, even if they have the ability to do so. Because what's to stop the next group, if one party's in control again, to, to do the same thing? Uh, the Constitution was set up with checks and balances. It gave certain authority to different groups to make decisions and not hold all the power. And we've seen with this president, by executive order, after executive order, uh, circumvent the process. So I stand for the Constitution. I stand for uh, taking partisan politics out of it and doing the right thing. We've got to skip back to, in this country to doing the right thing.
2: But I want to make sure both of you would oppose or agree with packing the court if there was such a democratic move, pose. Mr. I you would pose. oppose. And Mr. Moore? Likewise. Same thing. All right. Our next question comes from Vlad Egan with KSL television channel five. It is a video question. You can see it on the monitor here to your right.
0: Hello, I'm Lad
1: Egan with KSL. The CDC says it needs an extra $6 billion to deliver the coronavirus vaccine, but Congress has stalled on passing a new relief bill with the necessary funds. My question is, if elected to represent Utah in D.C., what would you do differently to address the ongoing pandemic and speed up vaccine distribution?
2: Mr. Perry, your response.
1: Again, we need to take the partisanship out of this. And I'll make a commitment to you right now. I will never, ever, ever vote party over people. And when I say that, I mean the people of the 1st District, the people of Utah, and the people of this country. They deserve that. And if we can get a vaccine in that timely manner, then absolutely we need to spend the money to get that vaccine. People's lives are at stake. This isn't something that we should be fighting about. And we shouldn't, it shouldn't be a political uh, pawn in the game. And so I would absolutely support the funding, and I would absolutely support anything that we can do to help the American people get past this pandemic we're in. Mr. Moore,
0: the yeah, number one bullet point here on the commitment to America, uh, the Republican House leadership put out a really, really sound document that talks about the several ways that they're they're going to commit to you know various topics. And right here, it's tripling rapid COVID testing and developing a vaccine that is safe, effective, and available this year. I've also, talked to folks within the par- pharmaceutical industry that that are, that are that are telling me you know there's a the, the Democrats have hindered this you know the the, the rapid testing possibility. And it feels very partisan. And it feels like we're just playing political games uh, in order to, to, to move forward on this on this vaccine testing. Um, this is something that we have to have to get back to our way of life. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm obviously very supportive of making sure that, that, that we, we have what we need to do the proper testing. So it's safe. But it, we can we can we can push this along so we can do it at a more rapid rate.
2: All right, I want to follow a question before we go to our next, uh, next question there. Um, you both talked about the vaccine. Top health officials yesterday told the Senate committee that if a vaccine was available, they would in fact take it, and they would recommend their family would take it. My question to you, first of all, is are we moving too fast on a vaccine? And if it became available, would you take it? We go first of all to Mr. Perry and then Mr. Moore.
1: Uh, my wife's a research nurse. She's actually been uh, assigned to the COVID study. We have to make sure we follow the process that's been set in place. And, and that requires testing. It requires uh, a placebo. It requires all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, as long as we don't circumvent the system, which will provide a, a safer product, then I'm all for getting it out there as quick as we can, as long as we test the way we should test and the way we tested forever.
2: And if that process were to follow, would you get a vaccine? Yes. Okay, Mr. Moore. Same question to you.
0: Yes, I, I I would get a vaccine. I recommend my family getting a vaccine. We would we would plan to do it. We would base it off of the science that's available. We absolutely have to do this in a safe and effective manner. Um, you know, and then uh, support uh, support a phased approach into this, going to the most vulnerable first. That's how we're going about opening up our economy right now too. There's there there is vulnerable populations we can keep them safe. Others of us have been able to at least start interacting. We take precautions. Uh, we don't have to have a vaccine before we continue to at least inch forward in our economy. All right, our next
2: question, a follow-up to uh, Lad Egan's question about uh, the deficit in a stimulus package and the impact it has on our budget. It comes to us from Weber State University uh, student Brody Bailey. Again, it is on video.
0: Hi, my name is Brody Bailey, and I'm a student at Weber State University. My question is, with the recent economic impact bills that have been passed to try and mitigate the economic effects of COVID-19, what actions would you take in order to decrease the ballooning deficit and debt? Mr. Moore. Yeah. Any, any uh, additional stimulus that's done, we have to do this in a very stratified or strategic approach. We, we blanketed the, the economy with, with, you know, kind of money, mass money going everywhere right that caused some initial conflicts where we, we were incentivizing people not to work and when we figured out after a few weeks there was industries that were able to work but our tourism and hospitality industries have been hit hard or we've had an we econ- or we've had an energy boom or a, a bus cycle that's gone through there are industries that we need to be thoughtful of and consider in a future package now we all wish we were doing this from a strong financial situation or a balanced budget but we're not and we need to fix that debt culture that exists in Washington. Uh, I, I, That that motivated me first before we ever got into a coronavirus or anything, going back and being in Washington, somebody that could go and establish himself, work on pushing over budget proposals so we could see about getting us back to that 1997 deal. Uh, But we have to be very strategic in our next approach, if any. Mr. Perry, your response.
1: The thing that bothers me about uh, bailouts and stimulus packages is the government seems to do a really good job of bailing out large business. Well, most of the business in Utah and the most business we know are small business. They're small business owners. And we need to do a better job. The people that have been most affected by this virus are our service entry level workers. Those workers that work paycheck to paycheck. They're the first that lost their health care. And they're the first that uh, are, are most vulnerable in our society. We have got to do a better job taking care of the most vulnerable in our societies, and, and that is those frontline workers. That is the small business owner here in Utah. So I'd love to see stimulus go to them, because it's going to help most Utahns.
2: Okay. All right. Our next question comes from Glenn Mills, a reporter with KTVX Channel 4. Glenn?
0: Gentlemen, good to see you. I. you. Hill House Forest Base is at the heart of Utah's first congressional district, so let's talk defense funding. In 2019, the United States spent somewhere around $732 billion, more than any other country in the world, by a long shot. Do you believe that that amount is adequate, too much, or not enough? And if you were elected, how would you work to support that position?
1: First question, Mr. Perry. I think it's too much, and I, I think... Uh, we have a strong, wonderful uh, military system. The work that they do is critical to uh, the mission that they provide and, and making sure we are safe, and, but I think it's too much. Our priorities are a little out of place. And having said that, though, I support the mission of Hill Air Force Base 100%. It was my first job in high school. And my grandparents uh, retired from there. of Grumman was just awarded uh, the contract to revamp our ground-based nuclear warheads. And that work absolutely needs to, to take place. Uh, our president took $54 million from Hill last year to build his border wall. And that is not acceptable. And as your congressman, I will fight every day to make sure the funding stays in place at Hill. Mr. Moore, your response.
0: Yeah, we look at this as an international perspective. Uh, unfortunately, China's not slowing down in their, their enhancements on their military grade. Their, their, their economy is going through a situation where they're going to ultimately rely, be relying heavily on their, their military. I, I hope that day never comes. But that, that means that we need to continue to be at the cutting edge. Now, I've worked inside our federal government before. I've worked in the intelligence and defense communities and within there. And I used to sit back and think about, what in the world? We've got this budget that's way too much. You know how oftentimes in our federal government, we're like, oh, you have to use your budget unless you're going to, you know, otherwise you're not going to get it next year. A lot of that goes on. There's a lot of waste. And you could look at a certain percentage of our federal budget across the board and think, where are we really wasteful? And you could go and target that. I know you can. You wouldn't touch a job. You wouldn't touch a mission. The objectives could still be there. But there is waste within our federal government, and we need to be able to take a holistic look at that and go after it. This, this deficit does not get solved with defense funding, though. We have, we have much bigger spending issues. Mr. Mills has asked for a follow-up question. Uh, Mr. Perry, if you believe it's too much, where should that money be going as a priority?
1: It's, it's what are our priorities in this country today? Is it to be the strongest nation defense-wise? My grandmother, a tribal elder, taught me the most important lesson I've ever heard, and that is our Native American community is only as strong as the most vulnerable in our society. Think about that. Think about we can spend less on defense and put more out to the people that need it, the marginalized in our communities. Mr. Moore?
0: Yeah, I, I would just add that any savings we can find, we, we get to a balanced budget. Uh, so we it's not about just transferring money. I think we've done that too much as a government. It's about finding ways to run more efficiently, finding ways to save, putting, making so we can get our spending under control. Uh, so we could putting, so we quit putting good money after bad. We're never going to be able to get out of this mess unless we address that. So it's not about, you know, if we're able to find savings, it's not about just placing it somewhere else. We have to go back and getting to the point where it's a balanced budget. All right, gentlemen, thank you for your question. Uh, Our next question
2: comes from uh, another student at Weber State University, Joshua Peterson, dealing with racial equality and racism in America today.
0: Hi, my name is Joshua Peterson, and I'm a student at Weber State University. My question is, if you win in November, what policies will you pursue, if any, to promote social and racial justice in the 1st Congressional District of Utah? Mr. Moore, your response. I love the way that question's worded. Um... We have to, as a policy, as a society, as a community, we have to be focused not on the symptoms. And that's what everything has been over these last few months. We've been talking about symptoms. We need to focus on the root cause, right? And so as a lot of these have flared up and they've been devastating, um, seeing George Floyd in that situation, even Breonna Taylor, these are devastating situations. They're tragic. Um, we need to be focused on the root cause, okay? Okay. Uh, the, there are too many black Americans that are stuck in intergenerational poverty. That's the cause. You can look at socioeconomic status, and that's where you draw a direct correlation to crime. That's where you're going to draw more interactions with the police, Is if because we are, have too many of these members, of brothers and sisters of our, of our communities, uh, stuck in this situation. Education, criminal justice reform. Um, making sure that, that we're making smart decisions and, and, and encouraging better behavior, right? So all of these types of uh, these things can be addressed. I'm really encouraged to see President Trump interacting with. It's a, it's a bit of a pop culture, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny to watch. A lot of people will joke about this on social media, but we're sincerely trying to address some of the criminal justice flaws in our system. Uh, working with Kanye West and Kim Kardashian, Senator Lee's been involved. Those are the areas that we need to target. Then you can fix the symptoms later. Mr. Perry, your response?
1: From the day this country was founded, our leaders that crafted the Constitution uh, crafted a document that said uh, that all men are created equal. Well, as long as you weren't black and as long as you weren't Native American, all men were created equal. So this is the system we've lived with forever. Uh, Dr. King said that riots are the voice of the unheard. I know what he means because I come from a marginalized group. I know what it's like to be not heard. I know what it's like to not have a seat at the table. If we want to fix the racial uh, injustices in this country, we have to make a concerted effort to give those marginalized groups a seat, to give them a voice to make sure we listen, really listen. We all have racial biases in some way or another, but we need to listen. We need to acknowledge past wrongs. Uh, Our current president doesn't wanna teach that now. He wants to make sure we only teach patriotic things in our schools. Uh, We need to learn from the past. And then as we're learning from the past, we need to enact changes that will really change America. Black lives matter, and all lives matter, but they won't matter until black lives matter.
2: All right, our next question is a social media question coming to us on Facebook, and it deals with a topic that I know both of you candidates have been talking about. It comes from Ryan Carter, and he asks, what will you do to improve civility and bipartisan cooperation in Congress, and how can we fix the stalemate of partisanship in Washington? And I believe we go start with Mr. Perry.
1: You fix it by being the first person that doesn't vote with the party. You fix it by voting your conscience. You can't tell me during the presidential uh, impeachment that every lawmaker on both sides of the aisle, except one, uh, voted their conscience. They voted because their party, they were afraid what was going to happen with the party. And if you don't believe me, look at the backlash that Mitt Romney uh, suffered. We have got to get the partisan politics out of this. We've got to make decisions that uh, reflect our values. And we've got to start doing that as soon as we get there. Tone matters. Leadership matters. This election, more than any other time, matters that we elect somebody that knows how to bring people together.
0: Mr. Moore, your response? Yeah, I've thought, as I think about, and particularly for debate prep, as you think about all the various topics you can talk about, every single one of them has a point of common ground that I know if you were to put 100 people in the room, you'd be able to find common ground, and then you build from there. I, I wish that was the way that our policymaking works. It, it doesn't right now, right? We need different people back there to make, make sure that it could work that way. Um, but, but starting from that point where we all can find some agreement you branch that out, and you're going to have, you're going to have different things that come up. Uh, I remember early in the campaign, long, the primary, um, right two weeks before the primary election, I was, uh, I was doing sort of a rapid-fire Q&A with uh, one of the county GOP executive committees, and one of them asked me, and I felt like it might be a gotcha question, said, is it your job to vote with party leadership? And I stuck my ground. I could have easily just said yes, and I stuck my ground. I said, no, my job is to to find out what the district needs. And then I go to Iowa or somewhere else, and there's a Democrat that has a lot of dairy farms, and I go make some legislation that will work with that. That's the way I feel. That's what I hope to be able to do. All
2: right. Thank you for your response. Our next question comes to us from Heidi Hatch with KUTV Channel 2.
1: Good evening, gentlemen. You've talked a little bit about the stimulus packages we've been dealing with already and also the burgeoning debt we have in our country. When it comes to the bottom line of most families and how they look at the future and how well they're doing, it comes down to the economy. What can you do the first day in your office to hit the ground running to help the economy here in Utah and really nationally because no state is an island to make sure that families know that they have some solid ground underneath them without adding to that burgeoning debt?
0: That question begins with Mr. Moore to reevaluate our small business regulatory environment. That's the first thing that we have to do. That's the backbone of America. There is research out there that I've seen recently that says about a third of small business owners say if this if this stays status quo for the next 6 months, they won't have a future after that. That's the most concerning thing that I've that, that I that I've encountered during this during this time seeing that actual research come back. We have to be able to go in and and create smart regulation that allows for small businesses to not be overly burdened, to not be too concerned with extra liability as we've gone, manage the PPP and all those other things that have come out uh, so they can have uh, the ability to go and and, and thrive out of this. That's that's where the focus is on a strong economic recovery. But there's also an opportunity for like a manufacturing renaissance, right? Uh, In the area of Ogden, we're already seeing it. There was a report that was put out by EDC Utah today that talked about how strong that is. Uh, and so leveraging that, building off that off of opportunities of scale, there's unique opportunities that now that, that our country can, can focus on with manufacturing. Mr. Perry.
1: I agree with, a lot with what Blake said, but I, I think there's additional things that we can do. Uh, our tribe is a small business owner. We've worked closely with programs that the, the federal government has with the Small Business Administration. I think the federal government shouldn't be the answer for everything. But I think in ways that the, the federal government can help, we should. And programs like the Small Business Administration can help. I think those are, are critical. I think deregulation for small business. The problem with a small business owner is he's not only the CEO, he's the CFO, he's the HR manager, and he's the janitor. All rolled into one. The more regulations we put on small business... The harder it is going to be for them to succeed and them to go forward. So, deregulation of small business programs on the federal level that will help stimulate them and help them in their job.
2: I have a follow up you know, question like. on that economy. There was a report released by the Census Bureau just a week ago. It showed that median income in this country had risen prior to COVID 19 by 7.5%. Poverty was at a record low in this country. How do we get the economy back to those? Back to those, uh, those standards. Mr. Perry.
1: First of all, uh, we, we've heard it here a little bit tonight. I'm, I'm probably one of the few Democrats that really believe we need to balance the budget. It's critical. Blake and I both live in a world where we have to balance our financial budgets at home. We can't go into debt. I think the state of Utah's done a pretty good job of managing debt, saving for a rainy day. And I think as we as a country need to get back to that level. And uh, by doing that, it'll allow us to have more flexibility in everything that we do.
0: Mr. Moore, your response? Yeah, I've talked a lot about this. I was joking earlier. All those things, all those jobs from small business sounds like running a campaign, right? The janitor as well <laughs> exactly. as the CEO. I, uh, we have the bones of a strong economy. We, we, no, nothing's changed since then. We've been able to get our corporate tax rates to a point that they're globally competitive. I remember living in Singapore, and I was, I was doing my taxes when I realized that their top tax rate is 17%. Businesses are flocking there. By getting that to a point where that's globally competitive, uh, that, that enabled us to, 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 to have a strong presence and for companies to quit leaving our shores. So things like that uh, that, were in, that were in place right before when we saw the lowest unemployment. Uh, the bones are there. We just have to get back to our economy. Now, the airline industry is going to be hit pretty hard. Tourism is not going to be able to ramp back up as quickly. So there will be some time that's needed. And that's what I talk about previously when we were talking about uh, a stratified strategic approach to any particular aid package, if anything is necessary, doing it such that it helps just those uh, areas that need it. But, you know, it goes back to small business. If that's strong in America, then we've got it.
2: All right, thank you very much. Well, uh, we have, are nearing the midpoint of our debate tonight. Uh, we welcome you once again to this live debate between the candidates for Utah's first congressional district. We are broadcasting from downtown Salt Lake City. This is one of several debates sponsored by the Utah Debate Commission taking place prior to the general election, which will be held on November 3rd to provide voters an opportunity to hear the candidates running for federal office. As a reminder, on social media, use the hashtag UTDebates and listen, learn, vote. Now back to our exchange. We go to a video question. This again coming to us from a student at Weber State University, Andrew Waldrop.
0: My name is Andrew Waldrop, and I'm a student at Weber State University. With the millions of acres of destruction in the Pacific Northwest due to wildfires, what steps can be taken to mitigate the possibility of this happening in Utah?
2: Mr. Moore, your response.
0: Utah does a... a it, we hit above our weight on the ability to address this in in our forests. Uh, Talked to several firefighters in, in Uinta County, and they have really good sound processes that, that they take for this. This becomes the debate between, you know, federal land and, and state, uh, state-run land, and, and, and the proximity of our state officials to be able to go and, and make sure that we do that. Um, th- 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 that. That's the first priority, is to make sure that we're letting the experts address that and, and go through. And I, and I believe that we've been able to do a, a good job at that. Um, and th- so as, as far as an action to take, that would be one of the first things. Um, but we also have to think about our environment, too. You know, we, We're seeing droughts, and we need to be able to be level-headed, pragmatic, and address um, any type of global warming, climate change, whatever you want to call it, clean air. We all, we all want to call it something different, but we have to be able to go about that in a sound approach and not overly, um, you know, uh, not overdo it so we're, we're, we cripple ourselves.
2: Mr. Perry, your
1: response? What I'd like to say is Utah's lucky. That's all I'm going to say about that is Utah's lucky that we haven't seen the destruction that California has. There's two factors that play into the wildfires that we see on the Northwest and and some of them here at home. The first thing is climate change. Climate change is real. Our scientists tell it is real. The average temperature has increased two degrees, which is uh, really almost unimaginable going forward. We've got to take steps to make sure that we address the climate change issue. The other that we very rarely think about is we need to manage our forests better. The undergrowth that are in the forest today, and I hunt a lot, and you can't even walk through the forest because of the undergrowth. Native Americans managed fire by setting fire to that undergrowth, and it's we've got to get back to managing the forest as well as deal with climate change. I
2: want to follow up on that. The question, this is, pardon the pun, rekindled the debate, so to speak, over our forests, the environment, climate change, managing the forest. How do you find common ground between those two those two opinions? Because you have on one, it's being caused by climate change. On the other hand, you have what you just said, Mr. Perry, dealing with forests, fighting fire with fire, so to speak, has been done in the past. How do we find common ground on that? I'll begin with Mr. Perry.
1: You find common ground by adopting the, the public lands policy that I have come up with. One, is it needs to be a fair and open process. Two, you need to invite all players to the table, not just the environmentalists and not just the loggers, but you need all voices at the table. Then you can sit down with federal land managers and work out a system that benefits everyone. No one side should be the winner-take-all in all of this. And I think there's sound management processes that we can follow to manage the forest manage it the way native americans managed it they lived a sustainable life for thousands of years and they made sure that they controlled fires because they set controlled burns and so uh, there's going to be logging there's going to be roads in certain areas but we need to invite more players to the table to make sound decisions for uh, our forests and environment
2: mr moore finding common ground climate change or forest
0: management Research and case studies is what I'll say. We address. Uh, we have enough successes, and we are Utah's been lucky. It's not, but but we're we're taking a, an approach that that uh, that we can uh, you know address this. So, uh, this having the people closest to it weigh in, stakeholders involved, not having politicians just constantly weigh in on this, and 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 this is a matter of just looking at what's been successful and making plans for the future. Our next question comes to us from Ben Winslow with Fox 13 News. Gentlemen, uh, we ask questions of, of you a lot, uh, but this time I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask questions of each other and get an answer. So I would like you to ask each other a question and get an answer. <laughs> Mr. Moore, we'll give you that first opportunity. Oh, I don't want to miss my chance here.
1: <laughs> um, Be careful. I'm going to ask you.
0: <laughs> yeah, if, I'm, if, if, if I were to be elected, a uh, two-part question, obviously, would you be obviously willing to, to engage and, and work closely with me? And second, um, what would you say is the most important thing to, to keep really strong, positive relationships from our communities uh, and with, with, with Native American tribes here, Shoshone, you tribe, everything? What, what, what's the key to that success?
1: Well, thank you. I would absolutely give you 100% support Uh, If elected, we were texting back and forth during the primary and thought how cool it would be if we were to run against each other. Because we always felt like we would keep it on the high ground and talk policy and what we can do to make Utah a better place to live. Uh, How we can make Native American country better is giving them a seat at the table. Giving them a voice. Uh, It was their country to, to begin with our country, and to not get voting rights until 1964 in many cases, not having any seat as, as a leader, always living a sustainable life and now seeing the country not live a sustainable life, but, but listening, really listening, and I think that plays into most cultures.
2: Mr. Perry, you don't have a chance.
1: This will be a little tougher, and I don't mean to be, but I just, uh, I, th- I think this is a big deal. Uh, how do you think that you can represent the people of CD1 right. without living there and out without having a desire to live there? Uh, I know you lived there in high school. You were born and raised and went to high school there, but you have not been since. So I just want to know how you can really look at the people in CD1 and say, I want to represent you. I know rural Utah, but I know it from a distance. Uh, how can you do that?
0: Thanks, and I would have anticipated that question, so <laughs> I'd love the chance to be able to address it. Uh, you're right, I'm from Ogden, and I do truly believe that never leaves you, and I know that's a colloquial statement, and it sounds great in a press bite, but uh, this, this became a narrative with my race when there's Four out of eight candidates currently don't live in their district, it's, it's, it's something that's happening, it's clearly, clear precedent. I wasn't plotting this out. I was, uh, January hit, you know, I was busy working in my career, I've got a young family, I wasn't plotting this out, and when the nudge came to me, I said, Blake, you have an incredible background to protect Hill Air Force Base, you grew up right underneath it, you've gone and lived. Like, I had experiences that took me away from the first district, but that's what set me up for success in life, and, and I have a real, I have an amazingly strong desire I knew I had a strong connection, and I needed a debate. I mean, I needed a primary to prove it where I finished first or second in every single, every single county because I am so energized by this opportunity, and I'm willing to pound the pavement. And as long as people know that I'm willing to take input, we'll figure all that out. You know, In my first term, there will be a redistricting, but there is a desire to live there. Don't get me wrong. It's just I have to do what's right for my family, and, and i got to keep them in the best situation possible. Sure.
2: Gentlemen, your kindness is much appreciated. Thank you for that. Now, I have another question. I want to go back to the issue of public lands. There's a Facebook question coming to us, again, from Ryan Wilcox. Will you support a Utah exemption to the Antiquities Act? We begin with Mr. Perry.
1: No, I, Utah shouldn't be exempt from the Antiquities Act. Uh, that act was put into place for protections, protections of uh, the public lands that we all enjoy, I will work hard as your congressman to make sure the public lands stay public. Uh, It's vital. And in fact, COVID-19 has taught us how vital those are. While the tourism industry has taken a hit, in some ways uh, there were greater use on our public lands. People in Utah are staying closer to home. They're using those public lands. And there was a high, high... uh, output of people visiting the public lands in the areas that they live. And uh, getting around the Antiquities Act and, and is not the way to go.
0: Mr. Moore. So I have not seen the details of what that exemption would look like and, and everything associated to it, but I do not support the Antiquities Act the way that it's, it's been used. We need cooler heads to prevail before it ever comes to that. Um, and that's not a statement in anything against our public lands. I, I have a very, very strong support of the balance that's needed there. But we have to get away from executive action. And we've seen it grow in the last two presidencies. That's because Congress can't work. Congress can't figure this out. They cannot work together. And, and it just leaves the president of the United States left for this option. I, I, I don't believe the president, the last two presidents are, have just died to do that with so much executive action, but it's, it's reality and they've, and they've done it. Um, so I'd be supportive of exploring that. I, I, like I said, I don't know the exact details of it, but. We, allowing for you know, a president to come in in a lame duck session and just throw something like that out that doesn't have input enough, like we, we, we can't get to that point in our policymaking.
2: Our next question comes to us from a resident in the Uinta Basin, which is in your district. It deals with um, public lands. Rural counties in this state have, as many of, as you both know, have a significant portion of non-taxable public lands within their counties. Rural Utah counties, they're responsible for the construction, upgrade, and maintenance of roads, and a variety of other infrastructure issues. Federal pilt money, or payment in lieu of taxes, is an attempt to try and compensate those counties for their lost tax revenue. As a congressional representative for the Uinta Basin, would you lobby to increase and bring some stability to those payments, and if so, how? Mr. Moore.
0: Yeah, I, I would, actually. And there was a great article this morning about, about this exact topic. Uh, it 's a good way to balance this this discussion. so many Utahns want to ensure we have our access to our public lands. There is opportunity uh, for our state to run some areas better there 's balance here and and we 've seen that balance play out uh, for 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 quite quite some time now look sixty six percent of our land is public land there I believe there are areas that we can that, that, that we can do a better job locally but i I recently spoke to somebody who said don 't ever lose your public lands. Like I go to Oklahoma or Texas, and unless I have a rich friend or a high school buddy that owns some land, I can never hunt or fish or anything like that. Like it's really unique and great about Utah, so, so, so I do. But I would support looking at this pilt and as, a real, as a way to alleviate this issue and, 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 and get us to come together a little bit more so this isn't constantly such a, such a decisive, decisive piece. Daggett County in particular is an area that could definitely use uh, increased increase pilt payment.
2: I want to ask the same question to Mr. Perry as well. As a congressional representative there in the Uinta Basin, uh, would you lobby to increase and bring some stability to PILT payments currently going to Utah counties? Uh,
1: Yes, but let me tell you the reasoning. Uh, I don't support selling off Utah's public lands to the highest bidder. I I don't think that's the way to go. Uh, I do believe... Federal managers should work with local uh, commissioners and others and see if there's a way that uh, we can make those public lands usable. Uh, there's been a couple of water deals signed out in that area that make sense, that transferred those water rights to the residents that live there. The federal government did that. I would work hard every day as a congressman, though, to make sure that the, those federal lands are taxed at appropriate rate that uh, those, those counties that really rely on that uh, can see a sizable increase in the revenue that comes in from those public lands. We've shortchanged counties way too much on the federal side, and that needs to be fixed.
2: So both of you agree the pill payment should be increased to counties? Absolutely. To your counties. All right, I have another question concerning that. As a, a congressional representative for the Basin, what would would you support fossil fuel extraction? on public lands. Mr. Perry.
1: Ah, you asked the Native American who has n- many Native American brothers and sisters in the U.N. Basin, whose only money source has been gas and oil. It's a trick question. It's a, it's a tough question to navigate. Uh, I am absolutely 100% for getting away from the extraction industries. We've got to. We've got to live a sustainable life and we need to look for new energy sources. Having said that, we need to look for new ways for the Ute Nation and others that have relied on gas and coal for their livelihoods to transition into something else. I sat on a panel a couple of years ago in Sun Valley at a sustainability conference. There was a mayor from Pikesville, Kentucky, relied on 100 percent coal and they talked about what they did to transition the whole community away from coal into another uh, way to make a living. we got to do that.
2: Mr. Moore, how about the extraction of uh, fossil fuels on our public lands?
0: Yes, I, I, I support it. The U.N.A. Basin is uh, strongly supported by that. Conversations that I've had show that people are committed without mandates to finding Green technology, green options that are, that are taking place. In, in particular, the oil, the waxy crude that exists out in the Uinta Basin, that there's an effort to to get a rail so they can at least put that somewhere where it can be processed into Tier Three gasoline. Now, that's a cleaner, that's a cleaner option. Uh, using our resources to be able to invest smartly to make improvements is the is the policy outlook that I would that I would explore.
2: All right. Another question. A coalition recently in Washington of Republicans and Democrats in the House recently formed a caucus called the Problem Solvers. The group has called on Congress to develop a stimulus package, among other things. Um, Would you join a caucus? And is that an example of leadership that both of you say currently Washington lacks right now? Mr. Moore.
0: Yeah, I I like the I like the emergence of a lot of these. I've interacted with what's called the Republican Governors Group. Republican Governance Group used to be called the Tuesday Group, which is an easier name to say Um, and uh, see a lot of potential in that type of work. Look, there's there's is there's 8% on both sides that make the news. There's a lot of members of Congress that are getting things done. They're working hard in our committees to put together the, the Defense Authorization Act, to put together other, other legislation that's never going to make the news. You know, you see a civil dialogue between Mr. Perry and I. We're not going to, maybe we don't make them enough controversy. We, don't, we, don't, we, <laughs> we may not make the most news. But that's the work that's getting done. Um, Problem Solvers Caucus, there's some stipulations that are involved with it, and you have to adhere to them. Uh, it's something to explore, but it's a, it's a, it's a little stringent um, from what I understand. But that RG2 group is something that, that I see a lot of value in.
2: What about the caucus, the Problem Solvers Caucus? Is that something you'd you'd consider joining, and does it show leadership?
1: I certainly don't know all the details about that group, but the concept of bringing both sides together to solve problems is absolutely intriguing and something that, that I would uh, be interested in joining if it made sense after looking at all of it. But the concept is right. It's It's what we need to do. Do we need a caucus to do that? Do we really need a caucus to want to do the right thing? Sit down with somebody on the other side of the the aisle and say, what can we do to work together? My experience with caucuses, especially during the primary, is you have to adhere to the caucus. There's rules and and they don't like you to stray from them. and And so... I don't necessarily believe caucuses are the answer, but the concept of what they're trying to accomplish is. And I think you can do that without a caucus.
2: We gave you the opportunity a few minutes ago to ask each other a question, but I have a different approach to that. Now I'd like to ask you on what issue or issues do you currently disagree with your party's nominee or your party leadership? Mr. Perry.
1: That I disagree with the you Democrats di- on.
2: That you disagree with either you Mr. Biden or <laughs> with Mr. Biden or your party's leadership in Congress. Uh, Is there an issue or issues you disagree with them?
1: Um, I'm sure there are. <laughs> That's a great question, though. Uh, I, I, I think we need to do everything we can to... Uh, balance the budget. I don't believe that big government, and and generally Democrats believe in big government. I don't believe big government's the answer. I believe public, private enterprise is the best way to go. And as a congressman, I would work hard every day to make sure the federal government is there as as a resource and a financial resource if needed but i don 't believe big government 's the answer and, and and I will die on that hill. I, I just don 't believe uh, that's the way to do it.
2: Thank you, Mr. Moore. Let me ask you with that one again on what issue or issues do you currently disagree with your party 's presidential nominee or party leadership, and why
0: yeah we haven't done enough we haven't done enough to to be able to curb spending um, and you can't have you can't have a balanced budget and can 't be fiscally responsible without doing that but i, I I recently put out a 30-second you know, ad, and I'll save you all the time to go and watch it. But conservative means more to me. It means, it, it means looking after the economy and your neighbor. It means you know, ensuring families have what they need to succeed, and it, and it, and it means embracing that entrepreneurial spirit you know, so that everybody can succeed. You know, those kind of things. But I love that part about the economy and the neighbor. We don't do a good enough job of communicating, especially... Republicans, we don't do a good enough job of communicating to the next generation. That was a big motivation for me to get in here, to be leadership within that next generation. We are the party of Lincoln, and we don't do enough to show how much we care about that community-based side of it. And uh, that will be something that I hope to be able to affect some change.
2: We have time for one more quick question and a quick answer, if you would, please. We'll begin with Mr. Moore on this. I want to go back to a stimulus package. Do you think we need
0: another stimulus package to help the economy? And if so, why? Uh, I'm concerned about that small business piece that I mentioned earlier, that if things stay status quo, would they be able to survive after six months? So we'd have to be able to see how long it is until we can get back to a more bustling economy based on, the health needs of our of our public health needs on uh, fixing this, this um, Coronavirus and the threat that it, that it exists. I, 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 we're getting along, we've got companies working, I, I, I'm hopeful we don't have to have any more stimulus. Mr. Perry, do we need another stimulus package? And if so, why?
1: I do believe we need another stimulus package because the pandemic's not over. And have we seen the, the, the people in Utah County, and the way they're acting, This pandemic might not be over for a long time. And so I would like to see a stimulus package that goes to small business, that goes to working families, people that have lost their health care, lost their jobs. We need to make sure they're taken care of.
2: Thank you. We have reached the end of our allotted time for questions for the candidates tonight, and we'll now move to one-minute closing statements. Prior to the airtime, it was determined that Mr. Perry would have the first one-minute opportunity. Mr. Perry, your one-minute closing remark.
1: Thank you. This has been good, Blake. Thank you very much. There's two factors that have really shaped who I am today. Uh, The Shoshone Nation is a matriarchal society. I have been blessed with strong women in my life that have really given me the values that I have today. That's one. My faith has shaped me in another way. I am a Utah Democrat because of my faith in the LES church, not in spite of it. I've made promises to leave the 99 and go after the 1. I've made promises to Comfort those who stand in need of comfort and mourn with those who mourn. If we are true as a society of of taking care of one another, if my basket is full of food and yours is not, I have failed. And I will do everything in my power to be a representative for all of our people.
0: Final one-minute opportunity to Mr. Moore. Thank you, Rod. And to the debate commission and the viewers, uh, particular to Mr. Perry. Thank you, Darren. Uh, I was given your book, um, The River Massacre, and now the debate prep is over. <laughs> I, can set, I can settle in and I'm going to get that thing read as soon as I possibly can. But sincerely, thanks for the, the dialogue today. Look, uh, electmore.com. Feel free to, to, check out our, to check out the campaign, but and elections are about the future. We've discussed a lot of critical topics today, but I'm going to be relentlessly focused on an economic recovery, championing, Hill Air Force Base, and representing Utah values. Utah has so much to offer. Um, not only are we the strongest economy, we always tout that, and we tout that our, our, uh, you know, our low unemployment, but we're the most philanthropic state in the nation. And you know, our country needs that type of representation and leadership, and it would be the greatest honor in the world to go and represent that. We need to expect more from Congress, and as I mentioned in my opening, I'm more energized every day. I ask for your vote so I can go be a productive member of Congress. Thank you.
2: Our thanks again to Blake Moore and to Darren Perry for their time this evening. It's been an informative hour. The commission thanks our generous sponsors, the Larry H. and Gail Miller Family Foundation and the George S. and Dolores Doris Eccles Foundation. Special appreciation goes to the Utah Day of Bait Commission and their chairman, Karen Hale and Wayne Niederhauser, and executive director, Nina Sliding and particular thanks to the many broadcast stations who have brought you this debate tonight as a public service. You've heard from the candidates. The Utah Debate Commission urges you to learn more about these candidates and where they stand on the issues important to you. Then vote in the upcoming election on November 3rd. From Salt Lake City, I'm Rod Arquette. Thank you for joining us this evening. Have a good evening.
0: I'm Dave Colley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold.